Hello, welcome to Media Roots Radio. Today this is going to be a Robbie Martin solo episode with a guest. Uh, Abby is uh, on vacation right now. And our guest today on Media Roots is Emma Fiala, editor for The Mind Unleashed and formerly worked with Mint Press News, Empire Files, and Anti-Media. Emma has been doing an excellent job delivering through updates on social media and other places like The Mind Unleashed, delivering updates about the coronavirus, and has been focusing on the outbreak since January. For people who listen to this podcast and who know and understand how overblown media coverage can be about things and how much they hype these things up, let's just walk the listener through some of these previous hyped up disease outbreaks. So right before 9-11, actually, people may not remember this, but the West Nile virus was on everybody's minds and was going to be the new big disease. Since 1999 in New York City, where West Nile virus originated, only 2,000 people total died of West Nile virus in the United States. MERS, another hyped up disease. To date, there have been 2,500 laboratory confirmed cases of MERS total. It's like worldwide. Um, And that disease actually has a very high death rate of 34%, but there weren't that many cases of it worldwide. SARS, which is probably the closest thing to the current coronavirus strain that's going around right now, um, had 774 deaths worldwide with a 9.6% fatality rate. Um, All of these diseases, um, you know, were extremely hyped up through the media. They were described as if they were going to be potentially apocalyptic, and they all sort of came and went without too much, um, you know, they were never declared pandemics. They, the death rates were relatively low worldwide, didn't get anything close to the influenza or Spanish flu pandemics. This coronavirus strain that has sort of materialized over the past few months has already infected 124,000, um, almost 125,000 people worldwide already. People are saying it has a death rate around 3%, and already uh, there have been 4,591 deaths worldwide. China, by far, taking the largest brunt of it. Italy, second, um, but not, not anywhere close to China. Followed by Iran, South Korea, Spain, Germany, France, and the U.S., Currently, right now in the U.S., this is the country that we are recording this podcast from, currently has 1,135 confirmed cases of coronavirus. Now, all that being said, Emma, thank you for joining Media Roots Radio today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I think this is your first time on, and I'm surprised uh, I haven't had you on before, because we've sort of been chatting and sharing information for a while. So it's been a long time coming. So thank you for joining us. But Emma, since this is already causing panic in some parts of the globe, I mean, not just some parts, I mean, entire countries like Italy are on full lockdown right now. We already see anxiety and panic levels starting inside the US, although it's not quite there yet in terms of, you know, I think you and I are probably more acutely focused on this and concerned about this than the general public seems to be. I mean, that's mm-hmm. total speculation, but just from talking to people, that's my sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what can you tell me right now in terms of any positive or reassuring developments that have happened very recently 
Um, we are recording this on the day where the WHO, World Health Organization, finally announced this is a pandemic. Um, and they did not, you know, they took this long to announce that. But should we be breathing a sigh of relief um, that any, you know, the, some of these active cases in mainland China are leveling off? Is there anything positive um, that we can glean from the news reports coming out today or where this is going at all right now? Well, unfortunately, it's hard to find positive things <laughs> in everything that's going on with this. But but there are a couple, like you said, that you just pointed out. Um, I think we need to be careful about what we're seeing in China or what we think we're seeing in China and what we're being told is happening in China with their cases right now. Um, over the last week or so, there have with these reports that cases have been leveling off. There's also been reports emerging on China, Chinese social media that um, some Chinese citizens are calling the recovery, whether it's cases or the economy, completely fake. Um, I do think that they're mostly talking about production and the economy, but I think that it's important to um, look at all of that information with a bit of a skeptical lens. Yeah. Um, and since other places are experiencing... Um, outbreaks as well. We don't have to only focus on China anymore. So we can turn towards Italy and see what's happening there and look at some other places too. Um, so I don't think we should ignore what's happening in China, but I think we need to be very careful with what they're being, with what they're telling us right now. Yeah. Um, but one cool thing that recently um, came out about China that is maybe a good sign is that um, China, the government has offered to send the Italian government thousands of lung ventilators, millions of face masks, as well as protective suits and test kits to assist with their fight against the coronavirus. So um, does that signal that China just had extra of all of these things or that they're done with them and they don't need them? Um, regardless of the answer to that, it's really great to see their willingness to help Italy, who is a country that's completely immersed in this and um, having a really challenging time right now. Um, so that, that doesn't affect us directly in the U S but I, I think that that's an interesting and positive development. Um, and also South Korea's infection rate has been falling and they never implemented massive lockdowns or quarantines like we saw in China and that we see right now in Italy and we're beginning to see in other places, but they did have very widespread and easily accessible testing that we haven't seen in other places. Um, so that's a sign, probably, that that was a really good route for them to take. They were probably tackled this a lot quicker than other countries have been able to. Um, but if it is true that their infection rate is falling, regardless of the purpose, that's a really good sign and something that we should keep our eyes on. Yeah. So are there any other things we could glean um, besides this surplus, seeming surplus in face masks and other medical supplies to Italy, is there anything else besides that that we can get some indication? If you're the type of person who's completely di distrusting of anything, you know, their media is saying or their government saying, what other things from China maybe could we see as positive signs that this is being contained? Is there anything else? I have not seen too much yet that really makes me feel super positive about what's happening in China because what I am seeing is still coming from the media. I've seen video of some of their um, makeshift hospitals that they made really quickly mm -hmm. packing up and closing down, which if that's true, that's great. It, yeah. There's also a possibility that that's not true. I, I'd like to 
believe it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that is, is the case. And it's some of, I don't know if you saw um, any of that footage, but some of it was very, very wild and strange looking. They, they flew a drone through um, a makeshift hospital that was set up in a, in a space that had a really high ceiling. So just seeing the, the drone over this wow. expanse of hospital beds that were all completely empty and a few people were just packing stuff up was, was very eerie and strange. Um, but I felt good while I was watching it because I was hopeful that, that that's a good sign. Yeah. I think I heard an epidemiologist, and I don't remember his name. You probably know who I'm talking about. He was on Joe Rogan a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that he thinks – he believes that the ch- some of the Chinese – Infection rates are lowering, but he thinks they're going to spike again as soon as the they open up like all the factories again and stuff. That's yep. his prediction. There's going to be people coming into the country. They're going to be reinfecting it. So I guess this could go up and down. I mean, it's not just like a clear, consistent rate of infections or containment. It could it could fluctuate a lot, I guess, moving forward. And mm-hmm. we need to keep that in mind. You know, if it seems like China may have, a, you know, put a cap on this, it could spike again, you know, like a month from now. We really don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's sort of all still up in the air. But what do you know about Iran right now? Like why, what is the explanation, do you think, of why they're getting hit so hard? Why, why did China and Iran get hit so hard? I mean, Italy's infection rate right now is over Iran. It's in between China and Iran. But I don't know. I mean, obviously, the more conspiratorial part of me, you know, when this first started, I'm like, hmm, you know, why are so many Chinese and Iranian people getting infected? But I'm trying mm-hmm. to prevent myself from going in those more conspiratorial directions because this is obviously whatever it is, it's a, it's going everywhere now. So, um, and we could discuss that those, some of those alternate theories later. But what is? Do you know much about what's going in Iran, and what? Why is this spiking so high there? And um, why is their government? doing a good job of responding to it. Everyone's accusing them of like hiding all the facts. What is your genuine opinion about Iran and how they're handling it? Yeah, you're right that with the first two places that we've seen most of the information about this coming out are from China and Iran. So people are automatically looking through it with a different lens than they probably would had the information come out from different places. And that's especially apparent with the way that people are consuming the information coming out of Iran. Um, but I, I have talked with a couple of people and gotten some information from some people that live there who, towards the beginning, were saying that there there isn't a mass freakout. The streets are not empty, even though there were reports of that happening um, in U.S. mainstream media. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but since that, things have definitely gotten a lot worse there. There are so many people in government offices, high-level offices, that have gotten infected and died, which is very concerning. Um, But unfortunately, that's one of the many countries that are under sanctions from the U.S. And I I can only imagine that that is hindering their ability to act and to provide care and to manage this at all. But I do think that they, they approached things much differently. They didn't institute quarantines like China did. And they were the first country to kind of have this happen a little bit after China did. So mm-hmm. um, they're kind of on a similar timeline. And China jumped on those mass quarantines that were just scary to look at from, from afar. Um, 
And they didn't do that. They freed prisoners because they didn't want to have infections happening within the prison systems. Wow. Um, they've gone about it in a much different way than other places have. But again, they have elected officials that are dying. So I, I don't know if they're exactly handling it the right way. Yeah. Um, but I, I can only imagine that, unfortunately, the sanctions from the U.S. are really, if they're not already, are going to hurt the ability for them to um, to tackle this. There's There's been a few nurses that have spoken out and given interviews saying that they have nothing. They do not have protective gear. They're all out of various supplies. Um, and things are looking pretty grim. I'm just going to read here a statement from spokesperson for Iran's foreign ministry. Um, he just said to the press today that the oppressive and illegal American sanctions which have been imposed on Iran within the framework of maximum pressure campaign have affected public welfare and health in Iran. And I'm not exactly sure. I mean, we'd have to break down the details if it's just like medical supplies, basic supplies, or if this has anything to do with testing kits. But it seems pretty clear that this maximum pressure campaign, especially that's increased since Trump's gotten in office, is putting a serious squeeze on their ability to import medical supplies. I mean, just on mm -hmm. a basic level. Apparently, Europe is actually defying. There's some countries in Europe that are defying some of those sanction agreements. So, you know, maybe some of those European countries will step up and help Iran out. But I don't think the U.S. is going to be doing anything. I mean, this is kind of part of the course. When you sanction a country this hard, you know, it's kind of almost not saying it's the intended effect to get everybody infected with a virus in Iran and let them die, but it's kind of a uh, slightly intended side effect of a mm -hmm. sanction. It's like, well, too bad, you know? Like, that's kind of, I mean, that. so this is why I think Abby and other people are trying to stress this idea that sanctions are a form of war. They have mm -hmm. real serious consequences, especially when you're we're in a situation like this. And there are other government officials and other countries also getting infected. I mean, it's even possible right now, and jumping ahead a little bit, like Ted Cruz and Matt Gates mm -hmm. are in self they're they're like uh not in quarantine, but they're they're isolating themselves right now, right? Cuz they're they're worried about the CPAC exposure that they may have gotten. Mm -hmm. But do you have anything else to say about Iran? It has been nice to be able to connect with a couple of people that actually do live there. Um and hopefully <laughs> what I'm hearing from them is is accurate, but that personally that was that was helpful so i could kind of dispel some of what i saw in the media initially yeah it's great that you have a line into to someone there from what it sounds like there aren't that many positive developments other than <laughs> it appears on the surface that china has somehow contained this or mitigated the spread and that south korea's infection rates are slightly dropping those seem to be well, at least the South Korean thing, I suppose, is more openly verifiable than what's happening in China. So that does seem like a positive sign. Um, but let's go into some of these scary developments and, you know, credible predictions that are quite frightening of where this can go. Italy is now under a full mandatory quarantine lockdown. You cannot leave or enter the country right now, only under very special circumstances, Hospitals currently in Italy, from mostly anecdotal reports, a lot of medical staff are the ones putting this on social media, appear to be already at pretty much full capacity. And there was even one anecdotal report, which I'm sure you saw, Emma, from a, a doctor at one of the Italian hospitals that said they have already had to decide who dies 
because of the flood of patients of varying stages of sickness from coronavirus. There are already too many patients who are suffering from this and not enough staff to help them. So in terms of what you said about that doctor in Italy that said that they're going to begin choosing who gets to be in the ICU or not, um, there's also a little story or letter or something that's been spread around social media since, um, I believe sometime last night and it's not signed by anybody, but I have seen it shared by initially by some trusted sources. So I'm, I'm going to go with this. <laughs> um, and this person does mention, um, what that doctor said and went into further detail about the capacity of the ICUs, um, in some areas of Italy and, Basically, he says that they're at more than capacity. They've begun to put the IC units in the hallways. If the numbers don't go down and the growth rate of the contagion continues, there'll be thousands of people in a matter of week or two weeks that will need care. And so he asks what happens when there are 100 or 1,000 people who need the hospital, but there's only a few ICU places left. And then he mentions what that doctor wrote in the paper, um, and says that the, this is like a situation that that happens in war, that it's it, it feels like a war zone where he is right now. There's He also points out that there's a, a finite number of doctors and nurses and medical staff, and they're getting the virus now. They've also been working nonstop. Yeah, and they, I, wasn't it basically that they've been ordered or just told they have to keep working even if they've tested yes. positive? Because there's just not yes. enough staff. I mean, it it does when you read stuff like that. It you you think of like the books, like the Hot Zone and stuff. Those mm-hmm. kind of scenes unfolding. It's it's honestly terrifying. So I don't think it makes sense to fully panic and lose your shit. But at the same time, like this is really happening. So the fact that we're in America, sort of, this hasn't hit us this hard yet. It's sort of easy to be like, well, it's not going to get that bad here, but. I mean, this is Italy. This is like a, you know, quote unquote, first world Western country that is saying these things. And mm-hmm. the creepy part, Emma, to me is that, you know, it's it's right now, according to the count, only 12,462 people in Italy are infected. Now, you would think, I mean, I would think, you know, maybe this is just naive, but like that's they don't have enough ICU for 12,462 people? Mm-hmm. Like how many people does it take to flood and bottleneck the ICU hospital systems like that? That doesn't seem like very many. Oh, yep. I mean, but th- th- and that's, I guess, what's scary to me is if it only takes that amount of people, that's a really scary sign of what's to possibly come here in the U.S. Yeah, so that's something that people are thinking about now here and they're, they're running the numbers and they're looking at how many beds we have here. Um, a recent article in the independent said that, um, U S health officials are suggesting that hospitals in the U S need to at least double their available beds in order to deal with the upcoming surge of patients. And then, so of them already are Kaiser just, uh, mm -hmm. down the street from me. Um, they already, the local paper like showed pictures of them, like putting more bed, like they're turning more floors of the hospital into an ICU basically. Mm -hmm. Which is great that that's happening ahead of time. That that's, that's good news, but it's still the gravity of the fact that we even need to do this is just overwhelming. Um, and 
it is interesting to think about how many the estimates of how many ICU beds we actually don't have that many in our country. I didn't realize yeah. that there's there's estimates that we have between a hundred thousand and forty five thousand. That's not that's not very many. <laughs> and that, and, um, and if that's the case, it makes me wonder why a nationalized healthcare system like in Italy, am I just misunderstanding? Do you think that that's you know that there's twelve thousand more or more actual known infections in Italy, are they also just treating, I mean, because, you know, hospitals already have regular patients in them. So that's mm-hmm. probably why, you know, you have to take that into account too. So maybe I'm just mathematically not, you know, I'm oversimplifying this in my mind, but even still, it doesn't seem like that many infections. Hospitals would get bottlenecked. Yeah, but there's already people making credible predictions that American hospitals are going to get flooded. So, mm-hmm. And it's not that far away. They're predicting that that's going to happen in May. Yeah. If you can cite some somebody who's saying that May, um, where is that coming from? Where are you reading that right now? Yeah, let's see. The last place that I saw it, because I was looking from, up some of these numbers, because um, I've had a lot of numbers in my head, <laughs> but I wanted to make sure some of them were right before I talked to you about them. Um, and some of these numbers are coming from a Twitter thread that I just searched for today by um, somebody named Liz Specht. She's an associate director of science and technology, and she um, has a PhD and has this long thread of, of estimates and running some numbers. And her estimates are basically based on how many hospital beds we have and the rate of infection in places like Italy and Italy's demand for hospital beds. So she's just running the numbers. And that's basically what these estimates are based on. All of the estimates that I've seen have put it it, within like the first week of May that we're supposed to run out of beds. Jesus. And um, she actually did go in, in some of this data into the available hospital beds in general, not just ICU, but the U.S. has about 2.8 hospital beds per 1,000 people. Wow. And at any given time, 65% of those beds are occupied for regular things that are not related to the coronavirus. So that leaves far less beds than there are available. She estimates that that leaves about 330,000 open beds. This is also a worse flu season than usual. So these numbers might be a little bit different. We might have even fewer beds. And in Italy, they're saying that about 10% of cases that require hospitalization those hospitalizations last for weeks. So those beds aren't going to get freed up anytime soon. Yikes. I mean, I don't want to make this sound too alarmist for people, but these are all real experts who, you know, they're not trying to sell books, you know, because some of these epidemiologists, like even the guy on Joe Rogan, he's got like a book, a scary book, you know, about how Mm -hmm. the harbinger of things to come, MERS, SARS, you know, I'm not saying the guy was a doomsayer, but, you know, he is trying to sell books about scary spread of diseases. But if you look at all these other experts like the one you just cited, I mean, a lot of them are saying the same thing. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not – a lot of these people don't have any, like, financial motivation or they're not doomsayers. And they are saying the exact same things you are. And also what's really scary to me, Emma – is that uh, this figure has been floating around out there, even from some CDC and WHO officials, but Angela Merkel uh, of Germany came out today and echoed what many of these experts have been saying for the last several weeks is that this could eventually infect 40 to 70% of the entire Mm -hmm. world population. Now, that sounds really scary. However, without a timeline of that, 
you know, like, does that mean over the next several years, over the next several months, single year, you know, that number itself is very alarming to look at, but I'm wondering, you know, you got to take all these things into account. So like the slowness of the spread, you know, could prevent some of this strain on hospitals and, and the amount of available hospital beds. So I don't know exactly what they mean by that figure. And I'm wondering if you have any specifics on, are they saying this is going to happen over the next several months? Or is this more like a several year timeline that 40% or 70% of the entire world population is going to be infected? The majority of what I have seen that are estimates that are about the world population are basically just looking at the number of people that were reportedly infected in a place like China who experienced this first. And they're just like expanding that ratio to mm-hmm. the global population. So I don't know if there's actually a time frame put on it for some of these estimates. I did see something either yesterday or the day before, because time makes absolutely no sense <laughs> to me in the past few days. <laughs> Trying to keep up on top of this stuff, losing sleep, I, it's weird. But <laughs> there was something the last couple days that said, um, this may not really peak or we may not see something closer to the end of it until next winter that it might be like this the season you know we have a flu season we have seasons for certain things but this like quote unquote season might not end until next winter um so within that time frame is that when we'll see 40 to 70 percent of the global population infected i don't know and there's very very little chance that even if that is the case that by next winter that's the figure they're predicting that we'll have a vaccine by then. I mean, that seems, mm-hmm. seems unlikely, but um, sorry, continue. I interrupted you. Yeah. I, I it, these are all just estimates though, cause this is new. So we, we don't know. I, I think some of these estimates are probably coming out just to try to make people feel a little better <laughs> to feel like people are thinking about this and there are greater estimates, but they're all really just based on what we've seen over the past couple of months, which is a very small picture. Absolutely. Yeah. Could you off the top of your head, just tell our listeners what, cause this seems to be the worst pandemic in our lifetimes. You're, you're close to my age, Emma. And I think it's pretty clear that this is the worst pandemic we've experienced in our lifetimes. Um, would you agree with that? Definitely. Um, and speaking of how old we are, yesterday was actually my birthday, and I oh, spent almost birthday. the whole entire day. Thank you. I just spent the whole day learning about this oh, and no. uh, typing up my update article and recording a video, and it was just kind of wild to think about. I've, I never thought that we would be in the midst of something like a global pandemic. You know, it's always out there because it's in movies and books. Of course. But just something about like experiencing this like actually on my birthday. You know, I it just it was interesting yesterday. It kind of put it in a a little bit of a different light. Yikes. Well, promise me you'll take at least a day off to, to disconnect from the internet and, and have a, a, a quasi birthday celebration. (laughs) (laughs) On Tuesday, which was my birthday, um, my, the teachers in my kid's school district went on strike. So they were home yesterday and they're home today. Oh, and man. Conceivably, they're home until schools close because of yeah coronavirus. So that was things are weird. And where <laughs> are you right located, now. Emma? Where what state do you live in? I'm in Minnesota, and um, we have our fifth case confirmed now, um, just as of today. Any um, emergency quarantines around any neighborhoods or cities that you've heard announced in Minnesota yet? 
No, but um, the University of Minnesota did just announce today that they are um, discontinuing classes, not for the rest of the semester, but for um, a certain period of time and moving everything online. And I thought that was interesting, considering we only have five confirmed cases and none of them are associated with the university. Um, I personally think that that's a really good call on part of the of U, M, U of M. Um, I, I think that if we can get ahead of this and on top of this before we see cases and spread, that that would be ideal. Um, but other than that, I haven't really seen any major response here yet. I don't want to freak people out too much, but based on what everything we've just talked about, are there any other predictions or things that you've heard any credible experts saying um, that are being put out there right now that you think people should be taking very seriously or be prepared for? We've already talked about hospitals being flooded um, and things like that, but what else do you think people should be seriously concerned about moving forward? Well, I think that just kind of regardless of what people are saying and telling us to do right now, if we just turn our eyes towards the countries that have experienced this before us, and we look at China, and we look at Italy, especially, and I think we should note that Italy's healthcare system is rated the second in the world. And ours is not. (laughs) Ours is a lot further down the list. So I really think we should keep our eyes on Italy and see what they're doing right now, and figure out how we can prepare according to what we're seeing there. You know, some experts are telling us to go out and and to prepare, not to panic. Some people are diminishing this and not necessarily focusing on the preparations. Um, So I think it's really important to consider that right now and to find out, you know, what if we do end up under a quarantine or even if the supply chain for things that you need gets severely interrupted, what might that look like for you? So how can you prepare for that now so that you don't panic about it later? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, you know, real world things happening right now where supply chains are already getting interrupted for things like hand sanitizer. Um, You can't find it anywhere right now, Mm -hmm. at least not in the Bay Area. Um, That's completely gone from all store shelves. Rubbing alcohol um, is gone. Hand wipes are gone. Um, I would not even be surprised if hand soap became something Mm -hmm. that was hard to come by in a few weeks. You can still find it now. Um, you could still find paper goods now, but I think the whole paper goods thing is definitely like a weird overreaction because I don't mean to be crass here, but you know, people who live in Europe, um, a lot of people around the world don't use toilet paper and they're mm-hmm. fine without it. There are ways to clean yourself without toilet paper. So that's as far as I'll go with that. If you want to look <laughs> that up online, you're welcome to. Um, so you don't need that in an emergency situation. I mean, maybe just to give yourself comfort and a mental peace of mind. Yeah. Get some toilet paper, stock up a little bit, you know, but it's not going to kill you to not use it. But that, I think that's another thing to consider is like, if we're, if you have to be under a quarantine, you might just want to have your comforts, you know, Mm -hmm. not even things that you absolutely need, but just comforts to keep you sane. That's another angle to this. So I think people should think about those things also even just those little things. But I think more pressing right now is like we're seeing the real impact of like hand sanitizer is not available in stores. And that is pretty creepy, just that alone. So yeah, I mean, we we should talk about preparation actually, I think. So I mean, it's just speaking practically, we want people to be taking this seriously 
and to have some kind of plan. You know, I'm not like anti-prepper. I'm not pro-prepper. But at the same time, like I do think people who think of the uh, think of a worst case scenario are in a better situation than the general populace. I mean, I think it's better to be someone who looks to the future and sees these potential danger signs, warning signs, than someone who just isn't prepared at all. But of course, there's obviously bad kinds of preppers, you know, people who just stock up on tons of ammunition and things like that. But at the same time, if society completely collapses, maybe you will need a little ammunition. I mean, so there's like, there's a, everybody has a different version of this, of panicking versus being adequately prepared. Like, what type of precautions are you personally feeling that people should take emma i know you're not i know you're not an expert you're not an epidemiologist but you've obviously been thinking about this longer than i have and you have a family obviously this is very real for you so what precautions do you personally feel that are necessary to take for your own family and yourself right now well okay so i have been thinking about this for a while because i started paying attention to this happening in january and it didn't take too many weeks of, of me looking at what was happening in China before I started thinking I might want to stock up on a few things because there's a good chance something similar might happen here. And once it got into February, I was thinking I might want to write an article to help kind of prepare people for or just inform them on how you have a, an emergency kit or how you just be prepared in case of a disaster or an emergency um, and I didn't get around to doing that until later in the month, kind of right when it, I think the article was published on March 1st, which is when some panic buying kind of started happening in the U.S. Um, but I guess it was still <laughs> good that I got that out there. But in doing the research for this article, I learned that only 39 percent of Americans report having some form of, of an emergency kit on hand. And what does something like that even mean? Um, yeah. To some people, that might be a first aid kit. To some people, that might be a little bit extra food. I don't know. Here we but, call it an earthquake kit. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's specific to where you live because of what kind of disasters or emergencies you might encounter. Yeah. But um, the Department of Homeland Security suggests that you keep enough food and water for all members of your household on hand for a minimum of 72 hours um, so that would help in the event of maybe a, a natural disaster or um, a gigantic snowstorm or something like that. Obviously, what we're seeing right now extends the concern for people running out of things. Um, so what I did and what I'm recommending people do, um, and I, I, I haven't been a, a prepper. <laughs> I don't have a, a big background in this, but I can see the value in being prepared for an emergency. Unfortunately, it seems like something that's just not normal in American culture. We are very, um, we, we fill our needs instantly. We don't think that far in the future about things like that. Some people do, most people don't. And I think that once we're done with this, when the coronavirus is done, we should all kind of rethink that, I hope, <laughs> and, yeah. and understand that it's better. Even if you're not prepared for weeks, you don't have to be a hoarder. You don't have to go crazy with this. But like the Department of Homeland Security suggests, 70, 72 hours sounds really great. But um, if people haven't prepared yet, I suggest sitting down with the other adults in your household and grab a piece of paper. Um, 
just put everything on that paper. Write down how many people are in your house. Um, any questions that you might need to answer. How much food do you want to be prepared with? Do you want to do this for a week? Do you want to do it for two weeks? Are you expecting that we might be quarantined for two months? Um, do you, it, this is out there, this probably won't happen, but in the event of a loss of power or a loss of fuel, do you have a way to cook food? Um, do you have anyone in your house that takes medications that they cannot do without? Um, just write down sort of those those questions and those little notes, and then you can start to form what kind of emergency plan would be the best for your household and figure out what to stock up on. Um, obviously, food, shelf-stable food is important. Yeah. Um, and, you know, stuff that fits what you normally want to eat. So you're not like just eating spaghetti for, <laughs> for two months. Of course. Make sure that what you're picking out is kind of like nutritious, but you know, isn't going to break the bank right now and isn't going to take up tons and tons of space in your house. Um, but considering that we have a global pandemic at our doorstep right now, stocking up on things like vitamins um, would be probably a really good, smart thing to do right now, too. But that's something that I've also seen out at the stores. Vitamins, um, yeah. Yes. I, I went to go get some more zinc the other day. Mm -hmm. um, because I was feeling a little bit sick, and that's sometimes something that I take when I'm starting to feel sick. And I thought, oh, why not have more of that on hand? The entire vitamin section at Target was completely empty with, like, just the regular name brand wow. things where you would find something like zinc. A couple of shelves were full. But then once I looked at it, I realized it was all vitamin D. They just filled wow. the shelves with whatever they oh had left. Oh, my God. See, that's, it, it's, that's creepy. <laughs> Because you yes. wouldn't immediately think that something like that would be rushed. You know, the store shelves would be rushed for vitamins, but... Yes, especially here in Minnesota where Jesus. we... It was just a few days ago that we had our first confirmed case. Now we're at five. Oof. So people were thinking about this ahead of time. The pain medications, the children's everything in like the children's medicine area is, is gone. So if you haven't considered these things yet it's a really good time to do it now. And it doesn't mean that you're panicking. It doesn't mean that you're a hoarder. It doesn't mean that you're a, a weird prepper. Because <laughs> yeah. I know people think that preppers can be kind of strange. It just means that you're being smart and you're preparing. And if this blows over and we are all completely wrong about what this looks like it's going to be, you're going to have extra of the things that you're going to use anyways. So it's not yes. like you're throwing money out the window. You're just... You're buying a month in advance. And it's also um, kind of a practice run. You know, yes. it's, it'll help prepare you better for if something, you know, if this does blow over for the next thing. That's mm -hmm. the, and I, and I really, you know, and I don't know, Emma, if you can relate to this, but someone like Alex Jones really did, I think, capitalize on people's fears in, in a way that, you know, maybe at some point seemed helpful or cathartic, but then in other ways just really amplified that, you know, those fears to a point where you almost become paralyzed. And I, and I feel like this is, this is another weird intersection point with this because there's so many people out there and justifiably so who are afraid of federal government officials. Mm -hmm. So even just th that aspect of it, a forced quarantine of some kind, and even something like a mandatory vaccine at some point, that's going to be a very, very hard pill for a lot of people to swallow who are like anti-state government, who are really into small government. I mean, even just the idea of homeland security at all, giving us any advice is just, to me, kind of just like grosses me out. But yet, 
that's the the sad and scary part about this also is going to be ultimately we are relying on the government to save us whether it's our local government or state government or the federal government and that's something that i think people in this country <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why they don't trust that and that's going to increase the fear levels for them moving forward it's going to increase the fear levels for me i don't know what what are your thoughts on that i mean there's a lot of libertarian people out there who are not going to, you know, they're going to refuse to self-quarantine just out of pure principle. They're going to be like, what the fuck? Should we even try to convince them that to, to, to be like, yeah, you know, put me under self-quarantine. I mean, cause I wouldn't want to tell someone to let go of their civil liberties like that. It, it really does. I I'm with you on that. I, I don't want the federal government or the local government or the national guard to be like standing at my door telling me what to do. That's, that's a rather horrifying thought. And I know a lot of people, um, based on experiences they've had, or just based on the media that they consume or whatever, I also have that feeling. And sometimes to a greater extent than I do, um, there are many armed Americans that don't want to listen to the government and they're ready to bear their arms. <laughs> um, but what is what does that look like in the midst of something that's a, a pandemic? There are some people that don't believe that this is a pandemic and they believe that it's it's people wanting to control us more. And how are they going to react to something like this? It's There are so many things at play right now that it's it's very hard to know what to focus on and what to say to the right people. This isn't something that can be um, just like blanket statements for all types of people. There, there are certainly people that are concerned about um, vaccines too. And those might be people that are totally fine with being quarantined. Everybody's coming at this from a totally different perspective. Um, but one thing that I am doing personally, even though I, I haven't been tested, but I don't suspect that I have COVID-19, but I'm staying out of the community willingly and on my own more right now, especially because I have kids. It's not affecting children as far as we know um, very badly right now, but there's a big chance that kids can catch it and be asymptomatic and then spread it around. And I certainly do not want to have a hand in, in spreading this around. And going back to that. Um, well, it's like that, that daycare disease that, or, uh, mm-hmm. that that guy was talking about, Joe Rogan, that it's like super common in like all daycares, but like only the parents get it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the, the kids are the silent <laughs> It's It happens though. And it's, I, you know, I see, unfortunately, I see some people on, on social media that are parents that are still sticking with that line that this only affects the elderly and it only affects the immunocompromised. They think their kids are safe. They think they're going to be safe. So they're still planning to go to Disney World for spring break. And, you know, even if you think you're going to be okay and you are going to be okay, we do need to consider the way that we're potentially impacting other people if we could catch it and spread it, especially if we have kids. Um but going back to that that thing that I mentioned that was written by somebody in Italy who had mentioned what the doctor said about the ICU, this person had a really great point that's kind of the way that I've been living my life in the past couple of weeks. Um, he says, you have the chance to make a difference and stop the spread in your country. And he's talking to people that live in the US and the UK, specifically, he mentioned. Um, Push for in the entire office to work at home today cancel birthday parties and other gatherings, stay home as much as you can. If you have a fever, any fever, stay home. 
push for school closures now. Anything you can do to stop the spread, because it is spreading in your communities. We know that. There's a two-week incubation period, and we are dropping the ball when it comes to testing. We know that it's spreading. And he's saying that if we do these things now, we can buy our medical system time. So I feel better taking it upon myself and making my the choice myself to do these things before being told to do it. We don't need to wait for our local governments or the federal government to say, okay, now we've got a big problem. Stop doing what you're doing. We're going to force you to act this way. We yeah. can start doing some of that stuff now. And for the people who are concerned about being told what to do, it, it really does change the perspective because you're doing this on your own. This is your contribution. Yeah. And I think that's important to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, not to get too Alex Jonesy, but, you know, all the press releases out of New York, Andrew Cuomo is talking about, you know, he's bringing, he already brought in the National Guard to help, um, you know, with this quarantine zone they put in place. And all the press releases about it are saying that these, the National Guard are there to help disinfect things in the quarantine zone. They're helping just clean things up. That just doesn't sound, uh, make sense to me. I mean, they're obviously there also to help protect the quarantine zone. I mean, so how is that actually playing out? I think that's something else we need to prepare people for because even if there's not going to be something crazy in an Alex Jones fantasy scenario, martial law, like let's say, you know, they send the National Guard in, but they're not like setting up checkpoints and they're just hanging out. You know, that's that's creepy enough, but uh, mm -hmm. you will lose real civil liberties automatically in some kind of mandatory quarantine situation. That's that's exactly what happens. Um, and I think we need to prepare people for that inevitability and to not panic too much. I'm not saying that acquiesce to this, let go of your civil liberties, but I, I think that the, the this is not um this is not media hype. And mm -hmm. you know, if it were if it still felt like that I would. I think I would be leaning more in the direction of this. Seems like this is. A, I'm very getting really conspiratorial right now about what's going on. Let's talk about the civil liberties implications of what could happen. Th there's also a mental health component that plays into this. So, I guess first, I mean, mental health right now, um, for people who are already feeling the full gravity of this. Maybe not the fullest gravity. You and I don't have any loved ones that have been infected. So I guess it could be worse. But I feel like you and I are very clued into what's going on right now and taking this very seriously. So that being said, I mean, for myself, keeping my own self sane and calm seems to be really important to try to work through this. I think we need people grounded and not panicking. But it's also understandable um, that you... That if you even if you do everything right, I mean, wash your hands, hand sanitizer, don't go into public gatherings, social isolation, not touching your face. Um, even some of those people who do that, even just do the act of washing your hands could even make you more anxious every time you do it. You know, you're thinking about it. You're thinking about coronavirus. And then on top of that, there's proven medical research that says your immune system is compromised when you're under mental stress. So all those things being said. How do you think people should be dealing with that aspect of this right now? What are some of your soothing mental health suggestions for people right now? Even just to dealing with the anxiety from the coronavirus, you know, media hype. I mean, it's real, but, the, you know, the way the media covers it could definitely, um, you know, make you more nervous and anxious about it. So 
what suggestions do you have for people who are feeling really anxious about this? Yeah, so this is something that I have thought about a lot more, um, really just today and yesterday, um, because it really has hit a new level the last couple of days. Um, and you're right about everything that you said, and it reminds me that this is personally something that I need to improve upon <laughs> on myself, so I should listen to myself right now, maybe go back and listen to this <laughs> once it's out and make sure that I'm following some of this stuff um, because I know I'm not getting enough sleep right now because I'm trying to stay on top of things and because I'm busy all the time, I'm not eating well enough um, and I'm not eating enough probably and it, it can be hard. So if, if I'm doing that, I know that some other people probably are and that might continue as things get worse. So we got to make sure we're on top of this now before things spin out of control because you're right about our immune systems are affected by um, lots of different things. Anxiety and stress affects them. If we're not getting enough sleep, that's, which is, can also be linked to, to anxiety and stress, your immune system is affected by that too. Oh, absolutely. Um, so it's really important to make sure that we're staying healthy right now. Um, I I made sure, and when I was mentioning before about stocking up and preparing, that a lot of the stuff that I stocked up on was healthier instead of just like instant soups and stuff because yeah. the quality of food that we're putting in ourselves right now is, is important for our mental health and important for our immune systems. Um, I've increased the the amount and types of vitamins that I've been taking, which is beneficial in different ways, depending on what it is that you're taking. Yeah. But just a disclaimer we should say there is don't, you know, go out there and rush out there and buy vitamins if you don't know what you're doing with vitamins. Because, <laughs> you know, there are people out there who might not realize that like niacin vitamin B, you know, you can get like whole full body flush. If you take too much of that stuff, you can take too much vitamin D there's, you have to know what you're doing. I mean, vitamin C, you know, one easy way to ingest vitamin C is through those like emergency style, you know, drink, mm -hmm. drink things. And they also have other vitamins that combine with it, like a balance of vitamins. And then zinc, one warning about zinc, I just want to make sure people know is that if you use zinc too much, especially the lozenge kind, you could permanently alter your sense of taste. And uh, that's a side effect of it that I feel like people should only use zinc when they feel any sort of mild symptoms of getting sick. Don't mm -hmm. just use it if you're paranoid about getting sick um, because, you know, it could do that to some people. So, sorry, Definitely. continue, continue. I actually, I have that um, issue with vitamin B um, and it was very strange the first time I really? realized it. Yeah. Just regular, B, like B12 or? Yep. Wow. Yeah, and... Um, total like red face like for a long time it was very strange and uh all kinds of things i've had some weird effects from certain certain vitamins and and um supplements that i've i've tried so definitely now is not the time to try something new that that you don't have experience with um and yep everything you said about those guidelines are all really important um so it's also really good for us to spend some time not immersed in the news right now. And if we yes, are exactly. getting to a point where we do become quarantined, we're going to have a lot more time on our hands. So it might be easier to immerse yourself in what's going on, but that's not going to be good <laughs> for, for most people that will not be good for your mental health. So if you are the kind of person that has a schedule for yourself, set aside some time that is like the only time that you let yourself 
focus on these things, you know, set some rules for yourself now to start following that sets a good precedent for where this might head. Um, There's so many things that are good that both boost your immune system and are better for your mental health, um, including exercising and getting more sleep. Um, But I wouldn't say that now is the time to start going to the gym. If if you have not been a gym goer, we don't want to encourage people to start going out and and, uh, touching equipment that other people are touching. Now would be the time, if you haven't done it before, to figure out how you can work simple exercises and yoga into your routine at home. This is something else that would also be very beneficial if we end up if any of us experience long-term quarantines where we're stuck at home, we're going to get antsy and going to need things to do. Um, so if we can focus on things that are both good for our immune systems and good for our mental health, like yoga and, and little exercises, um, that would be great. If you're comfortable with it, start going on a walk every day, even if it's just around the block a couple of times. Um setting aside five minutes a day to do some calming breathing exercises. If that isn't something that you do already, if you, if you are someone that does breathing exercises or meditation, um, make sure that you're, you maybe even expand on that a little bit, especially if we do end up having more time at home, if we're under a quarantine, um, really anything that we can think of that, you know, works for you, continue doing that and probably do it a little bit more, um, and then in the event that we, we do end up experiencing um, some time at home because of maybe a, a self-quarantine because you were exposed or your city becomes quarantined or whatever it might be, it, in being prepared, I think that we also need to prepare for how we're going to spend our time during something like that. You know, if you have kids, what are you going to do with them? Because happiness and mental health is going to be a concern for them, too. How much information are you going to tell them about what's going on? But what are you going to do with them? You know, are you just going to watch movies all day or do you want to have extra art supplies on hand? Um, If you like making art yourself, that's something that is often good for people's mental health and good just to fill your time with if you've got too much time on your hands because you're quarantined. Stock up on whatever it is that you like to do. Do you like painting? Do you like sewing? Make sure you have those sorts of things um, at your fingertips. And individually, just think for a minute, what brings you happiness? What has helped you through hard times in the past? Um, Maybe get a piece of paper and sit down and kind of really think about that. Because if you're not being affected yet, you probably will be if this continues to go down the road that it looks like it is. If it gets really panic-inducing for some people and you're having a really, really difficult time, there are there are resources out there. I mean, the suicide hotline is still a thing you can call. It's 1-800-273-8255. There, there's a lot of people who have a really hard time with social isolation. I feel like a lot of people re- will really go stir crazy and, and suffer from just not being able to see their friends or leave their home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very real thing. People, you know, people in solitary confinement go insane. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go psychotic from without the social contact. So, I mean, I think mental health is extremely, extremely important right now. And it plays completely into preparing because if you can keep your own anxiety levels in check and just be really aware of how you're feeling, you know, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, and then all at the same time also pull yourself away from the media 
to just spare yourself of that anxiety if you feel like it's getting to be too much. I think that's really, really important. You're getting anxious from reading the news about this stuff. You know, if you feel like you need to look at it, uh, look at it in the middle of the day instead of right when you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and right before you go to bed at night. You know, try to avoid doing that so you at least can give yourself a little space. You know, on top of all this mental health stuff we're talking about, there's also the tendency, and I think you and I probably both know a lot of people like this, even just from our interactions on social media, that um, they really gravitate towards the more conspiratorial and more sort of like sensationalist theories about what's going on about things. So some of these theories sound, you know, sound pretty reasonable on some level, and then other theories sound very wild and and really go to some really dark places. Like you know, like I'm seeing people posting that Bill Gates is staging this all so that we'll all have to take his poison vaccine at some point, um, or it being you know, or m- maybe the more middle of the road theory where it's like this is a Chinese or U.S. manufactured bioweapon. A lot of people are running with that. All that being said. Even if you are sort of a more open-minded person who gravitates towards those alternate theories, right now, I mean, what would you say about the helpfulness to your own mental state of focusing on those kinds of theories and, and maybe making that your focus right now instead of practical planning or like solutions moving forward? Uh, do you have any comment on that? I've definitely seen a lot of that, especially right at the beginning before I think that was a thought that people were having a bit more before it became apparent that this was going to affect us here. Um, There were all kinds of theories flying and and they're all still out there. But personally, I've, you know, I love a good puzzle to solve. (laughs) So I, even the wild ones, I, you know, I took some time to think about them because I find that stuff kind of interesting. Um, But at this point, I definitely don't think now is the time to focus on, um, anything like that. Um, if it is in fact a bioweapon or a lab created monster that's escaped to wreak havoc on the planet <laughs> or the brainchild of someone who wants to profit off of this, um, it, you know, I don't mean that we should ignore any of those ideas. And if they are in fact possible or real, that would be something to think about later when we don't have a global pandemic at our doorstep and like in coming inside of our homes right now. Um, if, if we get through this, then, or or say you don't get through this, if you spent time figuring that stuff out, then was that helpful or would being more prepared and helping your loved ones prepare been a better use of your time? Um, if, if those are things that you're interested in and you really think that there's weight to them, I would just suggest putting those things on the back burner. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying to let go of them because who knows what's going on here. But consider that when we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I like don't even think that we're in the tunnel yet. <laughs> like we're, we're just approaching it. We have a long way to go where things might get really dark and unpleasant. And I I just don't think now is the time to focus on that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to dissuade anyone from, you know, keeping their mind open and exploring all these theories. Some of that stuff is is useful. And even experts like Francis Boyle are saying some pretty crazy sounding things. Um, but he's mm-hmm. an expert and he wrote like the bioweapons treaty, you know, for the U.S. government, all this stuff. So there is sort of 
the real fear of some kind of government lockdown, government shutdown of our country. I mean, Italy currently has 12,000 cases and 872 deaths, and the country is on com- basically complete lockdown. You know, there's definitely a a necessary balance between vital public health measures to prevent spreading this and also this idea of losing civil liberties. I mean, I'm definitely not for the idea of a forced mandatory quarantine um, that removes people's civil liberties. The CDC at a certain point can issue a full federal quarantine order um, from, you know, from the top down. But right now what we're seeing only are local and state governments enforcing their own quarantine zones over certain areas. But those actually are enforceable. Mm-hmm. And from the CDC's website, this is what it says. This is about enforcement of mandatory quarantine orders. It says, enforcement, if a quarantinable disease is suspected or identified, CDC may issue a federal isolation or quarantine order. Public a- Authorities at the federal, state, local, and tribal levels may sometimes seek help from police or other law enforcement officers to enforce a public health order. Breaking a federal quarantine order is punishable by fines and imprisonment. Federal law allows the conditional release of persons from quarantine if they comply with medical monitoring and surveillance. Mm -hmm. So this is something I don't think where people have any idea how crazy this can get. Even if you are just under a mandatory quarantine you're actually required to. I had a someone tell me today that in Alameda County, people who interacted with someone who tested positive for coronavirus at a conference, they haven't tested positive yet, but they have been forced to call and talk to El- Alameda County law enforcement people on a regular basis daily to monitor their f- temperature. They have to take their temperature and t- report back to an Alameda County official. So that's already a form of surveillance. Now, what does it mean? I mean, this is so open-ended. So like what kind of medical monitoring and surveillance, what what, mm-hmm. what kind of powers does this allow them to have? Could they just send someone to your home and make, and just keep watch over you and force you to stay in a bedroom away from everyone else? I mean, because, you know, it's not just making you stay in your home. If you live with other people, they might actually make you stay away from everyone else in that home. Because mm-hmm. that's like what a, an actual quarantine would be. It's not just spreading it outside of your home. So I don't know. Do you, do you have any comment on that? I mean, or have you been looking into these these um, these laws as the CDC says them, or or that or any of these actual quarantines that have happened so far? Um, ideally, I wish that everybody was paying attention and would act accordingly, and then we would have no need <laughs> for for these other things. But I. When I'm looking at the maps and I'm looking at the data, I find myself wanting there to be more accurate data, which means wanting there to be more people that are tested and and having their information in this big collection of data. And that's weird for me to say and to acknowledge. So I'm, I'm personally kind of struggling <laughs> with, with what's going on here. And I am encouraging people to pay attention to where um, disaster declarations have been made and where there are states of emergency, if it's their state, if it's their city, if it's where um, their parents live or something, and to look up what, what the specific regulations and laws and what that kind of unlocks in their area, because it does seem a little bit different from place to place. Um, but what what you read, what the CDC says, is very unsettling. Um, and I, this could just end up existing only for getting this, um, 
getting through the coronavirus, but the part about surveillance and medical monitoring really concerns me because some of that is why we've seen some other countries do a little bit better, like places like South Korea. And we know that China is totally on top of monitoring and tracking people and collecting data from everybody to an extreme extent. Has that helped them get through this? I I don't know. If it has, is that something that people, the government in our country is going to look towards and say, we need that here so that we can do this too? Oh yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's so, it's so creepy. I mean, we are already set up for this weird text messaging presidential alert system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, is Silicon Valley going to try to save us from the coronavirus and yes. implement an app that tells people if you have the coronavirus? I mean, yeah, it's scary to think that this could be part of a slippery slope that brings us closer to that and to like living in a technocratic state. I don't know. Um, I have been concerned that part of the slow response time was because some people on top were trying to figure out how can we can spin this to benefit some of the policy like that that they might want to see enacted in the United States that have, we haven't had a reason to do it yet. That uh, when people are afraid of something, they're a lot more likely to agree to things that they otherwise wouldn't have. So not saying that this was manufactured for that purpose, but because it's here and because like the CDC literally says this stuff about medical monitoring and surveillance – it, is that going to be used as the to pave the way to bring those things here, whether or not we have a pandemic? Um, I don't know, but I'm concerned about it. And in terms of different quarantines, uh, we haven't seen too much of that here yet. There was the small quarantine that happened um, seemingly very briefly in California, and that was just a block. And um, Placer, actually, where was that? Placer County, or it was, yeah. And that seemed really um, confusing to most people who were were involved in it. It doesn't seem like even the police necessarily knew what was going on with that. Um, I did contact, it was in the town of Rockland, California. I contacted the police there and asked if we could get an update. Like, is the quarantine still happening? What's mm-hmm. What exactly is going on? And they would not answer any questions. They just referred me to somebody else that I didn't get a chance to connect with. I haven't heard anything in the media about it since then. So I, I assume that it's over. Um, and it doesn't seem like it was a terribly concerning quarantine, but the only other place that we can look for that in our country right now is the one happening in New York and New Rochelle that you already mentioned, where they've said that they're just doing like little side tasks. They're just helping keep things clean. Um, The mayor specifically said the guard will not be engaged in military or policing functions, but they can say these things. And we know that legally, especially if the president decides to actually consider declaring a disaster, that that unlocks a whole heck of a lot of other things that can happen throughout the country, um, which is all incredibly concerning. And I, that, that's part of the reason that I hope that people begin to pay attention and act on their own accord and it, not go to concerts and political rallies and things. And we can maybe we can kind of hinder the spread of this and we can take care of ourselves a little bit so it doesn't get to a point where we need other people to tell us what to do. Um, but if there are ulterior motives here and they want to they want us to lose civil li- civil liberties, this this really seems like the perfect 
storm for that to happen. It's definitely concerning. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's where my mind tends to go. It's not necessarily that this was some kind of engineered situation because it seems mm-hmm. to be like the, you know, the, the blowback of it, you know, is just too enormous for that to make sense. Everybody's going to be affected. But I wouldn't be surprised if some of the people in the Trump administration test positive for it because they yes. were at CPAC. Exactly. That that would be crazy, but but yeah, what you're saying I think is uh is something definitely that we need to think about is how this government, whether it's Trump or whether it was Hillary or anybody else, but right now it happens to be Trump who's in the office. What this government wants to do to continue to erode our civil liberties and what they might do to take advantage of a situation like this, a very mm-hmm. real situation, in order to do that and to permanently, you know, erode them even more and not give them back. I mean, at this point, to think that after 9-11 and the Patriot Act and all that bullshit, crazy stuff that they put us through, uh, mm-hmm. that they're going to give us back some kind of civil liberties after, you know, a CDC forced federal quarantine order, uh, I don't trust them at all. I mean, like, why exactly. would anyone with a brain trust them? So it's just, that's the scary part of all this, is I think that doesn't matter you know there's more crazy conspiracies because that's a a quote-unquote conspiracy that could (laughs) very easily materialize yep and i think bringing up 9-11 that that's what we have to look at here you know regardless of if you thought 9-11 was an inside job or whatever you think happened with why 9-11 happened you can't ignore what happened afterwards and same thing here. It doesn't matter if you, you think that this happened for a reason or someone made this happen. What's going to happen as a result of it? Um, and because we saw, like you said, the Patriot Act and we did see an erosion of civil liberties happen like a domino effect after that. It, if this becomes a massive pandemic within our country and thousands, millions of people die, it's not out of the question to think that we're going to see something similar yeah, or it could even be used for, let's say, a more geopolitical way that this crisis could be used. You know, perhaps this could get us into some kind of confrontation with China, where we're like, uh, we make it all about their, you know, say they have bioweapons and they, we, we're going to make them shut down these wet markets. Mm-hmm. So we're going to demand China do this. I'm not saying that a military conflict could arise directly out of this, but it could. I mean, it's just another thing to throw at China in terms of the blame for this. I mean, we saw Tom Cotton, who's a neocon, basically a neocon puppet of Bill Crystal, going out on, on the Senate floor saying that um, that he thinks it's a Chinese bioweapon. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw that, I was like, what is he trying to do with that? I mean, then I was like, oh, he's just probably just trying to figure out a way to just use a terrible situation as a geopolitical leveraging tool, you know, regardless. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to go over really quickly what uh, could happen federally. And this is, this is a little confusing for me actually. So Emma, you can jump in and tell me um, what the difference between what would happen right now if Trump declared a national emergency over this and the, the previous times other presidents have done it because apparently from what I've been reading is that this is actually our country has been in a national emergency since like the 1972, like the Uh whole time or something like somehow Uh presidents keep finding excuses to like file a national emergency, like every, like for their whole presidencies. So I guess Trump already did it over the wall funds. That's how (laughs) he got some of the wall funds, but it's from what I'm reading, 
and I don't know exactly how this would play out, but it, but basically, technically, when a national emergency is declared, so if Trump right now declares a national emergency over coronavirus, it would allow the president exclusively to override 136 current laws, including things like testing and experimenting on living human subjects. Yeah. Um, which is like, wait, what? And only, uh-huh. only 13 of these circumventions require congressional approval during a national emergency declaration, which kind of just sounds really crazy because, wait, if Trump declared a national emergency for the wall, does this mean he could already be doing these things? I don't yeah. really understand. But it, there's so many different other things um, that it can do. So, like, you can authorize the construction of military projects without any congressional approval at all. Um, you can... Uh, Draft any retired Coast Guard member without any congressional approval. Suspend any Clean Air Act implementation. Mm. (laughs) So those are just examples of things that would be suspended in a national emergency. It just sounds kind of wacky. Again, probably so open-ended that the president maybe at that point could do whatever he wants. I mean, I don't really know if that would be a martial law theoretical, but it's still pretty weird. Yeah, that's extremely <laughs> weird. And there, I don't think there's any president uh, that I would be comfortable having that power. But of, of all of them, to think that that, that would be at, at Trump's fingertips is mm-hmm. like, I don't even my brain cannot like fully <laughs> compute that. That is the. Oh. <laughs> well, we haven't even brought him up yet. I mean, I know this is all, you know, comes down to a lot of different people. But what do you have you seen the way that he's been handling this so uh, far? Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's 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 played out in actual interactions that I'm I'm having with people that he he initially tried to just really, really reduce what this was and act like it was nothing. Yeah. And I can I can see maybe if you're the leader of a bunch of people and you don't want them to panic that you um, you try to diminish the the reality to reduce panic. But of course, he never does things in the, the way that I would do in that situation that like maybe he was attempting to do that, but he did it in a way that's like disingenuous and he's not he's saying things that aren't true. And there are people that even though he's changed his tune a little bit since then, he's, you know, he's still got his weird way of talking where he's trying to make this sound like not a big deal. But there are people that have immediately latched on to the way he acted initially. And they're like traveling and they're not caring because of the way he came across initially. Um, it's, it's really dangerous how that works. Um, and it's, like, even if he said one thing and and then corrected himself immediately, the fact that you get that, that first thing that you get out there into into everybody's consciousness is sometimes what sticks. Um, of course. Well, did you, I, I'm, are we talking about the ahead. CDC press conference? Was that the first thing he that he did really about it? Um, Not he, press conference, he, but where he like was wearing the hat, like with the CDC guy in that weird hanger. <laughs> what was where was that? I don't know where that was. That was <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> Of course, a weird hat. There's always, there's always a weird hat. <laughs> yeah, he was totally downplayed, and I think that was one of the moments where he seemed like he might have been taking some of that English Sudafed, like the <laughs> the really powerful stuff. He just would not stop talking about like the Ukraine, like gate letter and stuff. 
He's like, the test is perfect. Just like the letter. He's like, the letter was perfect too. And, and the, guy, the CDC guy is just looking at it, at it like smiling, like, this is super weird. Yeah, I think that the, maybe the next appearance that he did after that, that was at the White House, was the one where like he looked really weird too. Did you see that one? Like his skin looked like... Trump's? Yes. No. He was like extra like leathery and weird looking compared to everybody else that was on oh, camera. Wow. And like I noticed online that like multiple people picked up on that and were like, what? Huh. I can't listen to him about like an outbreak of something when he like looks <laughs> looks like this. And that was another time he was just he was it was another time that he was just not like being accurate on, uh, on about what this is. Yeah. Downplaying it because the flu kills more people and all that stuff. Yeah. He also, um, what did he do really recently? Oh yeah, he he refuses to tell the press if he's gotten a test or not, and then he. Yes. Well, I guess he said he didn't get one. He doesn't care. He 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 thinks he's fine. It's just like yeah, what? I I love that. Did you watch that press conference? I didn't. Where, no. where they first asked, that was really interesting. The first journalist that you could hear, because Trump was already gone, but Pence was still up there, and they were like, "Has the president been tested?" And then uh, people were asking the same question, which is a great question to ask, and that's when Pence said that he himself, Pence, has not been tested, and he had no idea if the president had been tested. <laughs> he actually said it honestly? He did. Holy he shit. did, and it was a live press conference. Terrible vice like, president. Trump probably scolded him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And so he said, I'll have to look into that, and we'll have to find out. Holy like, shit. Okay, so you are the vice president. You have not been tested yourself. You don't know if the president has, and you you both were, you, you've been at CPAC, and you've been at, like, you've been, Next to people who are self-quarantining themselves right now. Uh, wow. <laughs> who is leading us through this? I can't believe what I'm watching. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just adds another level of like unsettling, you know, scariness to it that, that yes. we have him in charge. And I'm not saying that if Obama was in charge, it would be any less scary, you know. But I feel like Obama would at least have said, yeah, I'll, I have been tested. Like he probably, you know, he's the fact that like Trump is just like so cavalier is just is strange, you know. But I mean, I guess that's just how he's going to continue to be. He's never going to have that like presidential moment where he like realizes how serious he needs to be for a second. But it'll be interesting to see how his own supporters react if he continues to act that cavalier when things get w- worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they won't care. I don't know. Yeah, what else are we missing? I mean, is there anything else we should cover about it? I did have some notes. I don't know if you saw this about, um, I think you had a question there about like the slow reaction time. Um, of the it United came out States? yesterday in the week that uh, a Seattle lab was the one who uncovered the outbreak and the CDC and the FDA like told them not to. They went against protocol and like wow. that's how we found out. Wow. And I think that's pretty significant. So the CDC is, was trying to cover up the spread of the disease, basically. Yeah. Wow. That's really bad. That's scary because then that means they might have tightened their grip on all all the stats coming out after that, you know? Yeah. Ooh, and that's not a good sign. No, no. And it, it was, oh, it was this morning. I was just Jeez. like, before I went to bed, it was, this was published at one thirty six in the morning and it's not very long. It was the the Seattle flu study, which is like a group in Seattle, which is interesting that they, they have this and they track the flu. And they asked for permission to test their collected flu swabs. Um, so they asked the CDC and they asked the FDA to waive privacy rules so they could allow testing. And the CDC and the FDA both said no. This was in February. So 
one of the infectious disease experts involved in this said we we felt like we were sitting and waiting for the pandemic to emerge and we we could help but we couldn't do anything so Jesus. they listened they held off and then on february 25th they began performing coronavirus tests without the government approval and they found a positive case really quickly and so they told state health officials who then confirmed that a teenager who hadn't traveled abroad had COVID-19. So this person hadn't traveled. So that means that this person got it probably from community spread. And that was the first time, the first case that they found. And so they told the CDC and they told the FDA um, and they, they told them to stop testing. And they Jeez. listened, but then they started again. God damn. You watched the press conference, I'm sure, for the retirement home. Um, there was mm -hmm. a couple of them. You know, some of the family members spoke and then some of like the officials, I guess, that that dealt with the case and that also people who worked inside talked about it. And there were some sort of scary indicators from them that sort of overlap and match up with some of the things these Italian doctors have been saying mm -hmm. over social media about how this is not at all like the flu, that this can like hit you really hard. And we've seen people develop symptoms and then within hours die. Yes. Like I've heard people, some people saying that and it's just like, is that, have you been hearing some of those reports? Do you think that's overblown? I mean, what's your take on that? Well, the most interesting thing about that was first watching the press conference that was just the families yeah. in front of the life care center in Kirkland. They, one of them, um, uh, I think her last name is Herrick. I forgot her first name. Um, her mother died and her mother died very quickly. She had been in contact with her mom. Um, her mom had no symptoms of anything and then went to the hospital and died. She was the woman who said that she was told at 3 a.m. in the morning that her mom died. And then later in the day, she was told that her mom is doing fine at a hospital. And then later she was like, oh, wait, your mom did die. I can't imagine experiencing <sighs> that confusion in, in the midst of this outbreak that's happening where your mother lives. Um, but she was also told at that time that your mom didn't have any symptoms. She just kind of up and died. So we're not testing her for the coronavirus because she died of natural causes, which is extremely concerning to hear. But then the press conference that was given by the life care center, like the next day or the day after that, the press liaison basically said the same thing, that we've seen people no symptoms at all, like you had just said. And then they suddenly get sick and they die in the matter of hours. So to hear that story from her, and then also, I assume that that guy was talking about her mother, <laughs> um, to hear that confirmation then from the center also was interesting and definitely, not that I didn't believe what any of the families were saying, but having that confirmation um, was really eye-opening and then confirms that we've heard similar things like that coming out of Italy and coming out of some other countries. Obviously not everybody is dropping dead in the matter of, of a few hours, but the fact that that's even possible is like, no, this isn't like the flu. <laughs> this is obviously not like the flu. Yeah. And just symptoms that people should actually be watching out for. And so they're not confused you know, because a lot of people are also saying it starts like just feeling like a common cold. But um, what have you been hearing? Because I, I haven't heard that. I mean, I, I've heard that it's mostly a dry cough and a fever. 
um, that that happens from it. The, the concerning thing is that nobody seems to know exactly what to really? look out for. And, and people, um, like even locally, I, I see people that I know online that are like, I have symptoms of a cold. Should I go get tested? I've had a cough. With, and, and nobody can find this like very clear information because what is out there is saying that like, here's, here's coronavirus symptoms, here's flu symptoms, here's common cold symptoms. There's so much crossover but the fact that we also know that people can apparently have coronavirus and have no symptoms just kind of makes all of that information like I, I, I don't know what to do with it. Does that mean that you can have no, no symptoms at all and then still die? Does that mean that you can have only one of the symptoms? Um, the, the list that's coming specifically from clinics and, and government health departments seems to say like you have to have a fever you have to have some upper respiratory symptoms. Um, but that doesn't seem to be consistent in all cases. So telling people that if you don't have a fever, you don't have it, I, I, is that accurate? It doesn't seem like it is. Yeah, it's it's um, it seems really inconsistent. I mean, I guess we'll eventually know some more specific symptoms and have a better handle on it. There's also, um, so when I first started seeing what was happening in Washington. Um, I was curious about, uh, has this been in Washington longer than we know it's been in Washington? So I looked up um, the information about the, the flu season this year um, and the rates of like hospitalization and, and stuff like that. Um, and I looked up the, it, it's weird, but since around like December, the, um, hospitalizations and clinic visits for influenza-like illnesses is dramatically higher in Washington than it's been in the previous years. Like the graph that I found is like a huge spike in hospital visits for that kind of stuff. And then I also was looking into um, um, coronavirus, previous coronaviruses, because coronavirus, this, even though we keep calling it that, this is not the coronavirus. The, the common cold is a coronavirus. Isn't um, SARS also yes. another form of it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's like the flu, you know, we call it the flu, but there's a different yeah. flu every year. Um, so I was, I was looking up some of those statistics and then I was looking a little bit more into information about coronaviruses. And I found a, a good deal of documentation saying that it's common to have co-occurrences between a coronavirus and influenza, a coronavirus and RSV, a coronavirus and a handful of other things. So then it got me wondering, people could have a primary infection of one thing and a secondary of something else. There can be co-occurrences here. We need to look at everybody that's had the flu this whole flu season and see if they actually also had coronavirus. Just because you're positive for the flu might not mean that you don't have coronavirus. Um, yeah. so that makes me kind of question the guidelines about the symptoms too, because has anybody said that you can't have the flu and coronavirus? There are people who are saying that if you end up having a negative or a positive flu swab, we're not going to test you for coronavirus. And that, that doesn't seem smart to me. I, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but like the, these things that I've looked up so show a clear sign that you can have two infections at once. And we know that, you know, people get the flu and they get strep throat at the same time. I think that's, that happens. I, I feel like we shouldn't, we shouldn't end people's cases so quickly there. We should kind of 
exhaust all of the possibilities. First and foremost, we just also need to make sure there's tests out there that are available to people, even people without health insurance. I mean, that's like not even a discussion that's being had yet. It's just like, oh yeah, Kaiser's finally doing drive-through tests in uh, in San Francisco, I just saw. But, you know, you have to be a Kaiser member. But what do people do who don't even have any health insurance? Do they Can they even get tested? Because if this is all about stopping the spread of this disease, you would think that that would just be like, yeah, sure, we can get the funds to get everybody tested immediately. I mean, yeah. but that's really the concern. So... Now, going back to this, the vaccine argument uh, for a second, I don't know if many people remember this, but there was a scary time after 9-11 where the Bush administration actually announced a smallpox vaccination plan for military and healthcare workers. Um, and this was announced around December of 2002. And the reason they were announcing this mandatory vaccine for uh, about 10 million healthcare workers and people in the military was because they believed that terrorists were going to resurrect the smallpox virus and use it as a uh, bioweapon. Because at that point, it had already basically been eradicated. So they, uh, this is what Bush actually said in a speech in 2002. He said, Our government has no information that a smallpox attack is imminent, but it is prudent to be prepared for the possibility that terrorists would use this disease as a weapon. Um, so he actually did a speech on TV about this, mandatory smallpox vaccination program, smallpox vaccine will kill every one in one million people automatically. That's about the rate of, that's the side effect of death from it. And it also causes serious, extremely serious side effects. You know, the idea of getting a forced vaccine is really scary, especially for something that was developed by for-profit companies getting subsidized by governments during a national emergency that's really rushed to the public. They're not going to have a chance to do full trials on this mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's something to be concerned about, but like, you know, what if, like, what kind of choice would you make? You know, <laughs> what what kind of choice would you make, Emma, if you were if someone handed you a vaccine and uh, you know seventy percent of the world's population was infected with this thing? Yeah, that is a question that a lot of people are going to have to ask themselves, and I am opposed to mandatory vaccination. I, you know, regardless of what you think about vaccines, forcing people to do something like that is um, not okay, (laughs) in my opinion. Um, If somebody handed me a vaccine for this, you know, I I would probably have to say no, um, because I'm very concerned about the fast tracking of of vaccines when they don't undergo all of that testing. especially being being someone that might not not be as adversely affected by catching the virus and because I'm um, I'm being cautious with where I'm going and what I'm doing I don't feel like I'm gonna spread this around all over the place but um, I have I have a history of um, autoimmune diseases in my family and I, I have one myself and there are some vaccines that say don't take this if you have family that have um, a family with MS and and things like that. Um, And a lot of people don't look up those things about vaccines. And a lot of doctors don't ask you if you have a family history of some of these things. So just my personal situation, I would be concerned and skeptical um, if somebody just handed it to me. If it was mandatory, then that would concern me a heck of a lot more. 
Yeah, I mean that's the that's the weird thing is that only you know not too long ago the Bush administration was considering making this mandatory mm-hmm. all for a, an imaginary thing that never happened, never had any chance of happening. That was all piggybacking off of the fears of nine eleven. It sounds insane, but they really did want to inoculate the whole population, and you know all these medical journals had to put out things saying no, if you do this, you know there will be like possibly up to a thousand deaths. Mm-hmm. In America, automatically from the vaccine. That's how dangerous the vaccine is. It's not it's not a crazy conspiracy theory to suggest that a vaccine that put out could cause a lot of deaths. You know, just from a side effect of taking it in mm-hmm. this country, if it's fast tracked. So that's some uh, definitely something that people need to consider. I'm so happy you were able to join me today on Media Roots Radio, Emma. Um, I think it's been a very informative episode, and I hope it didn't freak too many people out. <laughs> I think we've been fairly level headed talking about this. But are there any last words you want to leave our listeners with? Um, my goal in writing about this and sharing things on social media and talking to people like you is just to encourage people to be prepared. You know, you don't have to go crazy about your preparations, but um, it will reduce panic in the long run. You know, some people, regardless, they're still going to panic anyways. But, um, you know, just make sure you know what you're going to do if you do end up under a quarantine for a month. Um, It's not crazy to prepare. So just (laughs) prepare yourself and hopefully that helps you ride through this a lot better than if you wouldn't have prepared. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much, Emma. Um, Thank you so much for having me that this is something that we need to keep talking about. So (laughs) any opportunity you have to keep educating people is, is good. Where can people find you online? Where can they check out your work? Um, if you go over to themindunleashed.com, that is where every day or two I'm writing um, a roundup article that's just kind of all of the major headlines that have happened for about the last 24 hours on this. And then I'm also putting that into video form where I add like a little bit more commentary and those are embedded in the, the articles. Um, but you can also find those on YouTube. I just started a a brand new YouTube channel for it. So I have like eight subscribers or something. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> but you can search for Emma Sron there. It's S-R-O-N and that will pull up that that channel. Um, and then we also are curating a um, channel on Telegram for anybody who uses that. Um, it's COVID-19 report. And we're just sticking in all of the major headlines as they pop up so that people don't have to search around through different news sources and look through social media feeds if they don't want to, that this is just a feed of only the news. And if you're not on Telegram, you can also view that in your browser at t.me slash s slash COVID report. And I really recommend um, just keeping that tab open and maybe going with the recommendation that you had, just check it in the middle of the day once. Don't don't look at this right away in the morning and right before you go to bed. But um, if you are interested in staying on top of the news, looking at a feed like that is helpful because then you don't have to search for it from all these different places because this news is coming nonstop and uh, it's kind of hard for the average person to stay on top of it. Hi. This is Robbie Martin with some final thoughts. Please consider making an emergency kit for yourself and stocking up on supplies, food, water, things that could sustain you for at least a couple of weeks. 
Also, please look around to your community and to the people who are economically disadvantaged or compromised in some way. People who have underlying health conditions, compromised immune system, diabetes. Um, all these people will be more impacted if hospitals do get overrun in the United States. I don't want to freak anybody out, but just have a plan for you and your loved ones. It's better to do it now than later. So thank you everybody for listening. And we hope we didn't scare you too much on this episode of Media Roots Radio. And if you liked what you heard tonight, please consider donating to Media Roots Radio via Patreon at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. Thank you very much.